Hello, you are about to watch an episode of Dancers. How exciting for you. But first, I just have to say we are very close to our goal of hitting 1,000 subscribers. Please subscribe. I would really appreciate it. Share the podcast with your friends or your enemies, depending on your opinions of the quality of the podcast. And if you have any questions that you would like me to answer, please send them to the Gmail Dancers Podcast. So dancerspodcast at gmail.com. Thank you. Hello and welcome to Dancers, the only podcast with a backdrop. I am so excited to announce the introduction of our new backdrop. It is the sun. Is it setting or rising? Whichever way this podcast goes in terms of success will dictate whether or not this is a symbol of its potential and possibly uh, ascendance into the sphere of real shows or it's crumbling of both uh, you know, the metrics and viewers and of the host itself. Will the next episodes show me trying harder and working to have a better, more interesting show? Or will I slowly go insane and start blaming my actions on the government? We will find out together. Isn't that an interesting imperative as a viewer? Boy, this is the best show anyone's ever had. We are going to get into some news and questions, but first, a little personal life thing. The fellas got girlfriends. The friend group is almost completely girlfriended up, and this is an exciting time for a friend group, okay? We've all been there where everyone in the friend group is single, and you all pretend to have fun, but question whether or not uh, this is because of fundamental flaws of both you and the people you surround yourself with. And then we have these transcendent moments of everybody has a girlfriend. And you all look at them and you go, how could you overlook the fact that all of us only own one pair of pants? How could you overlook the fact that our kitchens would not pass even the most basic sanitary tests of whatever government regulation you want to put on it. They wouldn't pass any sanitary tests, period, okay? But a group of women have decided to overlook that for us. And this is exciting times, you know? We're, we're all doing face masks. We're all uh, cleaning the giant mold out of our sinks that has gained consciousness. It's been there so long. This is exciting times, exciting times for any group of people. You have to play the game when new girlfriends or boyfriends are entering a friend group where you have to decide, is this a serious thing? Do I need to show my best self to this person? Or is this kind of a temporary fling? And the thing is, the last person to know that is going to be your friend who's dating them. You, as the friend, have to understand and sort of seek out, is that where who is this person to them? Are, do they really love this person? What's going on? It's a it's a harsh reality, but we all consciously or subconsciously, when we're meeting someone's partner and we're seeing how they interact with each other, how the partner interacts with us, in our head, we're kind of doing a one to 10 scale of like 10 is, all right, I got to show out for this person. They are going to be around for a while. They are very good for my friend. And a one being, I'm just going to, I'm just going to fart in this room they're, they'll be gone in a week. What do I care? We all play that game. I'm playing that game right now with the friends. Luckily, all the friends seem to be dating good people, and that's a good place to be. I just came back from Austin, Texas, where I was doing stand-up. 
Creek in the Cave, Austin, Texas. One of the best places I have ever performed. It was so cool, so fun. Let me tell you a little bit about Austin. I loved visiting it because I love visiting places where the party culture is so diametrically opposed to what my preferred state is. Do you know what I mean? I'm not saying preferred state like Massachusetts is my preferred state, which it kind of is, but preferred state as in I like a place with no nightlife at all. If you could, I want you, bring me to any town in Montana where the stores close at six and I'll show you a happy Dan, okay? This makes me very bad to be around. And I'm not denying that. This is not me skirting responsibility for being a party pooper. And sometimes I will go out to sort of look around almost like, I don't go out though. I don't go out in the way other people like to go out where they go out to be a part of the scene and have fun with other people and enjoy and mingle in the nightlife. I, no, no, no. I go out like a zoologist goes out when he's in the field studying like giraffes where I'll, I'll look and I'll be like, whoa, the, this is, this is so different for me. But instead of looking up, I'm looking down at the drunk 22 year old guy from Muskogee who's throwing up because he tried to impress a girl by drinking 18 shots, which by the way, has never impressed any person in the world. And I don't know why that's a standard. But anyway, so we do the shows and then we go out on this place called <clears throat> called The Six, which is like the party, they shut the street down. That's how many bars are there. That's how many drunk people would happily walk in front of cars to, to get to, because they see a semi-attractive person that actually turned out to be a traffic cone. They shut the street down just for partying on the weekend. On the Friday and Saturday, I was there at least. And I went out just to like completely sober. So you feel like an astronaut. It's like such a foreign experience because I'm sober around all of these people where I'm just like, these are the drunkest people I have ever seen in my entire life. I have never seen more drunk people in one confined space. And it's it's a little scary. Like, because when you're drunk, everything sort of blurs together and you're just like, we're all getting along. Everybody, man, it's crazy how we can. But then you're sober and you walk around and you go, this is a ring of hell. And mind you, I love temporarily looking and like feeling like I'm discovering a ring of hell. But that is what it was. It was, it's crazy. Uh, there were multiple people with snakes. I'm talking about big, like, we were walking down the street and it's just like, doosh, doosh, the, cl the clubs are just competing with each other noise-wise. So it's so loud. And this is why you don't want to be drunk in those situations because I was walking down the street and I would see a guy with a big anaconda wrapped around his neck. And if I was drunk, I would just be like, whoa, that's crazy. That's the coolest guy I've ever seen. You should date my sister, right? Like those are the thoughts. But when you're sober, you look and you're like, the snake, the poor snake, which is kind of the right thought to have because that snake does not want to be there. And I, I don't know if snakes are very uh, sensitive. Okay, I don't, they don't have ear holes, but I feel like they are sensitive to vibrations. I don't know, but I was feeling really bad. You can only, as a as a person who doesn't drink a lot, which I don't, I've, I've been drunk once in the last 
eight years, right? I, I don't really get drunk. You can be in those situations and it's fun for 45 minutes. You got 45 minutes. But the second you're locked into a conversation with a person who's hammered and they don't want to leave you alone, boy, you just want to throw, you want to become a snake guy. You want to go, let give me an anaconda so people will be less likely to talk to me. And if they do, I can threaten them with the anaconda. That's what I wanted in those situations. But we only went out for 45 minutes, so it was great. It was perfect. The club was awesome. There are so many comedians in Austin. It is crazy how many comedians there are in Austin. I don't know how the old scene is dealing with the influx of comics. It may be a good thing because more shows start. It may be a bad thing because... You know, a lot of times scenes are a little bit insular and defensive of like new people coming in. So I don't know what that, but my personal experience, it was awesome. I had a ton of fun. It was great. Let's get into some news for the week. This one is very interesting. TJ Maxx will pay $13 million for selling recalled products. This is a shock to me uh, because I assumed... And I've assumed for my whole life going to TJ Maxx that every product in TJ Maxx was a recalled product. I assumed that's why every product in there seems to be marked down from $2,000 to $16 is because it was recalled, because there's a rip, because there was evidence from a crime scene on it. Or because there's radiation on it. I thought every I thought that was the appeal of TJ Maxx. I don't know if you've been to a TJ Maxx, but it seems like a very well put together yard sale. That's basically what it is. It's like my aunt thought these gnomes would be cool, but they're not, so she's gonna sell them. So it was really shocking to me that TJ Maxx had to pay a fine for selling recalled product. TJ Maxx will pay $13 million, which for a company to translate that is seven cents. With inflation and the fact that it's a company, they might as well have just not done a fine. Where Who is that $13 million going to? The single mothers who shop there? I hope so. I hope so. Probably not. It's probably just gonna go, I don't know. They're going to find a way to funnel it back into home goods, right? That that weird, weird store. I had no idea that there was anyone looking into TJ Maxx. I thought TJ Maxx was like international waters. I assume that's why so many people will cut in line there and why so many people will choose for TJ Maxx to be the location where they decide to perform child abuse. It's there and then Ross dressed for less. I thought that laws didn't apply there. I thought the one security guard who, what are you there? What are you, are you going to stop someone from stealing from TJ Maxx? If you're stealing from TJ Maxx, you are willing to die. Okay. That security guard better either be Rambo or just there for show. But I hope TJ Maxx recovers from this hit, $13 million. Uh, I think my mom spent $13 million at TJ Maxx uh, during my childhood, so I think they're going to be okay. The second news story is a passenger was fined $1,846 for bringing a McMuffin into Australia. First off, 
$1,846. I feel like whenever a place finds you a very specific number, it's just so they can feel as though they're legit. Do you know what I mean? That might sound weird, but I'm like, when it's so specific, you think like, oh, there must be like a real mathematic formula to decide exactly how much money you're fine. And that's why it's not $1,850. But no, they're just doing that. They just throw the numbers around. No one really cares, especially in Australia. They're just deciding what number it is kind of at a whim. Um, it was found by a, a drug sniffing dog which I don't know if you know anything about uh, drug sniffing dogs. That is the only time a drug sniffing dog has found anything. Because I have friends who've brought stuff on planes before, and they always say they walked right past a drug sniffing dog, and the drug sniffing dog just looked at them happily and moved on. Drug sniffing dogs, I feel, are just police officers' way of like searching whoever they want. It's like a police officer can't go up to you and just be like, I don't like the way you look, so I'm going to search and arrest you. They're not allowed to do that. But for some reason, if they have a beagle, they can just go, that guy, we're going to take his pants off and reach into every cavity. Because you have like a shih tzu in your hand that you say looked at him weird. It's such like, it's such like a childish way of uh of justifying a search is to be like my dog doesn't like you so <laughs> my dog doesn't think you're cool so i'm gonna search you i've just had that happen to friends where they don't have drugs in the car but the police officer doesn't like them so they bring the canine out and then they're like yeah the dog looked at your car weird and they were like why what do you mean until we can give dogs stephen hawking machines where they can actually tell us what they are thinking i don't think that should be a justified uh, way to get a search on a car. That's just my personal opinion. But hey, this dog, thank you. Thank you. I do feel like also, more than any drug entering a country, uh, a McMuffin is a much more important thing to stop. Because if you, if you bring you know, illicit substance into a country, you do that illicit substance and then it's gone. But if you bring a, an America-grade McMuffin, now... America grade McMuffin. We're talking we're talking all the syrups and starches that they don't allow in those other countries. It's the same way they wouldn't allow certain kinds of pre-workouts in other countries. They don't allow they don't allow that good weapons grade sauce into Australia. And some people will say, "Well, that's because it, you know, causes gout." And it's like, "Hey, maybe." But it tastes scrumptious. All right. And if they got a hands on that in Australia, they would immediately, whatever the Australia's version of the FDA, maybe it is the FDA, I don't know, whatever their version of that is, would immediately be picketed and protested to a degree where they would have to get rid of every single security measure they ever put up in Australia if they got one McMuffin. And you can't let any through because then the people start clamoring for it, right? You got to. You got to really silence. So thank thank you to that dog for securing Australia, keeping them safe. Okay, we have incredible questions. I am so excited to uh, answer these. This first one's kind of long. Bear with me. So this is uh, this person's question. This one is kind of dark, so maybe you can sprinkle some humor in there. Uh, hey, not likely. 
I'm pregnant, baby girl due in November, and I hate the father. Massive douche fuck. We hooked up once, so I'm treating it like a donor situation. God, that is so... Because in a real donor situation, you're picking from like a line of guys over six feet tall who like have college degrees. So to treat it like a donor situation is like to treat it as though you wanted to get pregnant by the line cook. And that's a... I'm I'm really glad that you're able to do that, but that's taking some imagination. If you're treating this like a donor situation, you're treating it like, no, I I actually I weighed my options and it was like a six foot two, you know, beautiful Australian doctor or a guy with a tongs tattooed on his neck with ear gauges, and I just thought I want my baby to have some texture. So good for you for treating it like a donor situation. You're stronger than I. What should I tell her when she's old enough to ask? Her dad died at war or he disappeared in the Bermuda Triangle? I'd love to see what you come up with. Okay, so this is a difficult question to answer, right? Because you're asking me what you should tell your daughter uh, that her dad, who is not going to be around, was. I mean, it's touchy. It's difficult. I'm going to give you some advice on this because I do have an opinion. So you want her to understand that your dad, her dad isn't going to be around, but you don't want her to be too sad about it, right? You want her to be able to sort of move forward and understand and integrate that information. So you should say he was a member of the Taliban. It's airtight, okay? Because she'll understand dad is no longer around. And also... His death is explainable, right? But she may not harbor resentment for him being absent, right? So think about it. She would go, I understand why dad isn't around. And she would go, I'm sort of glad. No, okay, so this is what you should actually, my actual opinion on this is, I think as real as you can get, and this might not be, people might disagree with me. They might say you should not be honest or you should like find a way to soften the blow and definitely be like tactful with it. Like you can't make a kid feel as though their dad wasn't, uh, didn't love them and that's why he's not around. But that's not the situation. The situation is like, clearly this guy was more of a one night stand and he wasn't in a place to raise your daughter so it's like when she's at an age old enough i would say softly try to be as honest as possible i have friends whose dads weren't around uh, a lot of friends whose dads weren't around because i'm in stand-up comedy so that kind of goes hand in hand and i feel like the more that they know and are able to integrate it it's like sad right and it's it's very upsetting in a way and i'm sure it will be upsetting to talk to your daughter but also that's just how life is life is not like clean life is fucking messy and I think the earlier you kind of understand that like my friends whose dads weren't around it is very very unfortunate that they weren't around but since this guy isn't going to be around either way I think maybe as much honesty as possible is the way to go because my friends whose dad dads weren't around just seem to have a more holistic understanding of the world and how it works I feel like I got that after my dad died, where after he died, obviously it's devastating. But what it gave to me was this sort of understanding of like, oh, life is so like fragile 
and it can like leave like that. And it just gave you more of a depth of understanding of how reality actually works. So I would say whatever degree you can give your daughter that, I think it won't make her a weaker person. I think if you do it right, which you seem like a very smart person, a very funny person. So I don't think you will do it wrong. And I don't think you should worry so much about it. But it's like, I would say don't put pressure on yourself and just be okay with being a little bit honest and maybe letting her know like that. Am I qualified? Am I qualified? Some of you might be asking, Dan, you're a 27-year-old stand-up comedian. You've never even had the, a single inkling to want to be a father. What are your qualifications? And I and I will say, okay, that's what I'll say. I'll say, all right, no, um, I don't have any qualifications to answer this question, obviously. But that's just my two cents, you know? My parents were divorced, and I feel like, my and my dad died and I didn't know a lot about my dad pre-death and after his death I asked a bunch of questions I actually got real information about it and I would say in that situation I would have been more happy to be given a holistic view of him just because reality is reality and it's going to hit you over the fucking head no matter what so the softer you can make that realization the better that's just how I feel great question Okay, next question. Why do men, like camo men, like trucks they don't need? That camo men is a very funny way to put it. I think it's because it's all about an image. It's all about an image. It's all about like perceived toughness rather than real toughness. Trucks are very romantic and they're ingrained in American culture because of advertising. Like trucks in America seem to go hand in hand and advertising has really made it that way so I could definitely see a guy getting wrapped up and buying a truck and being really excited about the truck and then maybe down the line realizing oh I could have had a Fiat you know could it could have been a smart car honestly like if you have a truck and you're using it as a smart car it's just a sad it, nothing again you know nothing against you sure it's it's polluting a lot more than the smart car so there's like that knock against it but it's like you're an individual I it's whatever I understand it it just is kind of like man I wish you were freed from this level of like posturing to just realize it's fine to have a Prius you can just have a Prius or whatever kind of car it's just having a truck is so inconvenient if you don't use it for what it's for. It's one of the most inconvenient. It's not aerodynamic. It uses a bunch of gas. You have this like big back cab that isn't being used. It, it's just this whole thing where it's like, I understand. And it, it must be convenient for moving stuff when you do use it and you do need it. But it's like, I find people who buy trucks who like, who don't really need it will find these weird excuses to use it. They'll be like, yeah, well, I get a lot of groceries. <laughs> and it's like, all right, man, hey, it's your money. Spend it the way you want to. But I, I think it is just a lot of like posturing and a lot of like, you know, maybe insecurity or maybe they just like the truck. I don't know. It, it could be a lot of reasons. That's just kind of what I see. Oh, this is a fun one. Do men care if my pubes aren't curly? I'm going to repeat that. Do men care if my pubes aren't curly? Let me tell you something. Men, in my experience, my friends, me, are not known for our 
eye for detail. I think if your hair is curly and you straightened it and you walked around, I think 9 out of 10 men in your life wouldn't notice that, and that's the hair on your head. So I think you're fine. Next question. I've had a solid job for six years and going, oh, six years and going steady, and I'm 25. Uh, Lately, I've been getting the urge to trade my car for an old Tacoma and camper shell and live in the cab in the forest with my dog. Uh, This is what we call uh, lost in the wild syndrome. Um, It's a syndrome that affects predominantly uh, white men ages 20, unfortunately, to 45. And uh, it can be it can be tough. That's not saying just white men have lost in the wild situation or lost in the wild syndrome. But here's what lost in the wild syndrome is. It's this uh, romanticized idea about what it is to live in your car. I lived in my car. It was not a Tacoma with a shell. Okay, it was a Nissan Altima. So I am rungs below you. Right. But just know I have gone through this, too. I have had. When I was living in my Nissan Altima, that, that was this was a dream. I lived what you were talking about as your dream. And I'm going to get into answering your question real quick. Don't worry about it. But first, I, I was doing stand-up comedy in Boston. I didn't have enough money for an apartment, but I was going to Boston every single day. And it was just so much time and so much work to do it. I was just like, whatever, I'll just live in my car, no overhead. Uh, I'll do shows and mics however often I can. I won't pay. And then I eventually lived on a friend's couch. It was, it was something, it was fine. There's a lot of stuff that you don't know until you actually do it. It's really shit. You get one night of bad sleep, you're fucked for a week, right? Because you don't really have anywhere to go. And if you, if you're going to quit your job to do this, you probably won't have the money for hotels every night or whatever. So it's just a tough situation. So here's the end. Oh, so you end this by saying, um... Which, in theory, sounds fun but could blow up uh, in my face, but I might regret not doing it while I'm young. It would be funny if he ended this by being like, and also I got this woman pregnant and she won't call me back, so I hope she doesn't explain to her daughter that I was in the Taliban. <laughs> Somehow everyone who messages me is connected. That, that could be a good movie. No, so here's my advice, and this is real advice, and this is something the the... What you tell your daughter thing, I don't really know. That was just the best I could do. This one, I actually have some advice for you because we're the same age. You have a real job. I do not. But I would say meet in the middle. At first, if you really like it and you really want to do it, follow your dreams. That I'll never tell someone not to do it because that's what I did. But I will caution just quitting your job and living in the car full time like right away. Not the move. I would say do a weekend, take a week off, like how take your sick days, uh, take your vacation time, do exactly what you're saying. It wouldn't be that much money. There's places where you can like rent a, a renovated van. It's like a few hundred dollars. But if you're working your job, you can probably afford that. Um, especially if you're looking to trade this in, like you're going to need, you know, a kind of nest egg anyway, and see how you like it really live it for a few days. But before quitting your job and if you're if you're in love with it and you're invested in it and you've done it enough where you feel like I could do this then do it but living out of your car brother I've been there 
you'll get waken up because people think you're a dead body. That's why that happened to me quite a bit. You'll, uh, you'll find yourself in very sketchy, precarious situations sometimes, and maybe you'll be smarter with it than I was, but I'm just giving you my specific, uh, and I was in a city, so it's probably much different in the country. So that's where my experience differs from yours, but I would definitely say if you already have this path, you've been doing your job for six years, take, take some time take some time, like, like ease into it. Don't just be like that. Like th that's how I was with comedy. I, the, my one saving grace for living in my car is I already knew I was going to do stand up comedy my whole life. So I was like, I'll sacrifice this and I won't have a normal job and I'll live out of my car and people will think I'm crazy, but I don't care because I, I'm going to be a stand up comic eventually. So that's my advice to you. Uh, this was great. The questions were phenomenal. Again, if you uh, are interested in sending in your questions, uh, send them to dancerspodcast at gmail.com. Please subscribe to the podcast. I really appreciate you watching and have a good one.